Welcome to What Women Want with Amy Annette. Hello and welcome to the show, What Women Want, where I and some great comedians look at the misadventures, misunderstandings and misogyny involved in being a woman. Consider this your podcast equivalent of your one friend who you trust enough to share your darkest misadventures with. Misadventures like, for example, this week I ordered two burgers to take away and I may have got one with no cheese to sort of make it seem like one was for someone else. I'm fine. In this episode, we are looking at what women want is self-care. We recorded the show back in March 2018 at the Soho Theatre. I'm joined by three of the smartest people I know. I actually remember enjoying listening to them so much I had to remind myself I was on stage too. Let's join Sarah Pascoe, Rose Matafeo and Jack Rook to find out what women want. Nice to see you all. To actually see you is lovely. How are you doing? Very good. Very well. I yeah. just had a lot of popcorn though, so I'm so sorry. I've got dry. A lot of, dry, a lot of them in the teeth. So I'm just <laughs> going to do the whole show like that. Um, <laughs> hope you enjoy this. Sarah bought vegan donuts. So oh, yeah. I'm never eating chicken again. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we get you. <laughs> you just always just eat like, vegan donuts. I just happened to bring forever. some donuts <laughs> And pamphlets. Uh, <laughs> pamphlets are inside. They open up in your stomach. <laughs> the idea is that each time we have a different topic to start us off. Um, and today, and I told these guys in advance, we're going to be talking about uh, what women want is self-care. How do we feel about self-care? Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> self-care is... Self-care, I believe in what... I think you will come, hopefully, to believe with me at the end, is really important. But obviously, it does have this sort of sense that is just bath bombs, right? <laughs> like, there is a small percentage of people who think it is just bath bombs. A side note, I do not understand bath bombs. Anyone here like bath bombs? Bridget Christie's new radio show, because her first episode, I mean, you should just do it anyway, because it's fantastic, <laughs> but the first episode, it's almost a bit like it's sponsored by Lush. It, <laughs> no, 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 except she keeps complaining about how they irritate her anus. <laughs> Yeah, aren't they quite like? Actually, I've never had a bath. I'm so sorry. Uh, I shouldn't have just jumped in there with a. Yeah, baths are very sandy, aren't they? Uh, I'm having the weirdest type of bath. I'm having a bird bath. Um, no, but like, you know, like the, the bath bombs can be gritty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get up and then. I, I once dated a guy who worked in Lush. And it was great for a while, until, and until we started to see each other all the time. And the smell, mm. the smell of skin, and made me feel sick, and, and then he irritated my ass. No. <laughs> it's exactly the sort of chat you have with your friends. Um, I, I just, I think I have this, I mean, I'm going to listen to this radio show, because I didn't realise it was my anus that I was worried about, but I guess that's what I'm fearing about. I, I mean, my self-care, to, be, to reveal to you, is um, very sincere American podcasts. There's one called How I Built This with Guy Raz. And Guy Raz talks like this, and he can't believe what he's hearing. He can't believe it. So, so like, Cheryl, uh, the guy who created Starbucks is like, yeah, and then I just thought coffee. And he's like, you just thought coffee? <laughs> guy's like right 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 it's so charming i love it i really recommend you listen to it you walk away i now have to stop myself doing this podcast like that <laughs> like your anus what? <laughs> what 
Oh God, American sincerity is definitely my sort of self-care. But uh, I, so the idea is, is that we'll each briefly talk about what self-care means to us. And then I'm going to ask these guys some questions. Uh, and then that's it. And then we guys will only be done by 5.30. I mean, that is the dream, isn't it? <laughs> you could be in bed by nine. Yes, comedy as uh, on my terms. I love it. So for me, self-care means, I don't know, to be sincere about it for a second in an American way, it, it, it sort of strikes a sort of gap that I have between how I uh, think about feminism and act with feminism, act as a woman, think as a woman, and how I actually internalize it and sort of use it on myself, if that makes sense. Like, for me, I, I, I think a lot about how it is to be a woman in this world. Like, the show has really helped me do that. But I still don't always apply those things to myself. I think the word self is a really interesting thing in self-care. An idea of who you are within sort of activism, if that's what you do, or even just within your life, it's very hard. And it's almost embarrassing sometimes to think about yourself in those terms. I don't know if it's an English thing in particular, but the, the idea that you would ever prioritize yourself is a hugely, it, it, it sort of, it, it brings about this sort of English like, oh, no, 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 no the dogs should eat before me. No, no. <laughs> No, the the, let the children wash, I shall wait. Like, I don't know, I don't have English parents and I think that shows. Uh, <laughs> so I've been thinking a lot about how my personal self-care is and I think a lot of it comes down to how I actualize what I say and do in my real life about other people for myself. And so there's a quote that you will always hear because it's a great quote from Audre Lorde about self-care, which is that self-care is um, an act of self-preservation and therefore it's an act of warfare. And I mean, Audre Lorde obviously was an American uh, poet, uh, a black woman, and she used to call herself very invisible. And so the idea that someone who's in a marginalized group might then say, no, I'm worth something, myself is something other than the labels you put on me, is obviously incredibly powerful. And so therefore, sometimes when you hear self-care talked about in those terms, and then you hear self-care talked about in terms of how many embroidery hoops have you done this week, there's a sort of disconnect there. But I would argue that there's, there, there's a, it's a wide net and we should all feel like we can sit within it. And I, I think culturally, we sort of shy away from thinking about how self-care should help us change things. So much about self and feminism nowadays often is like, guys, if you could just be a bit more confident, that'd be great. Like, if you could just lean in a little more, like, if you could just, like, get over all the systemic uh, obstacles in your way by just being a bit more gung-ho. And so... With that vision in my mind, um, I'd like to pass over to you guys. Sarah, what did you think of when you heard the topic with self-care? I really worried because, <laughs> because hearing you explain self-care makes me obviously understand it in a different way. For me, it's something that feels very... So just my instant vision of it is very middle class and it's very commercialised. Mm -hmm. uh, I hear the term self-care when someone is trying to sell me something I don't need. Or, um, or when they are trying to tell me that... Um, actually, I think it's like a softener. It's like, no, don't, don't change the system. Mm. Have a nice bath. But, yeah, like, you, just, you, you, just, you won't want to smash the patriarchy when you've had a bit of a relax. The scented, soft, lavender pillow. And I think there's lots of reasons I struggle with it. I think, um, not in terms of the self thing, I understand like ego and individual. I think knowing where your edges are, reminding yourself who you are, and that doesn't mean necessarily being part of something as huge as a spectrum of gender mm. or a political belief. I think quite often we're in gangs and groups 
and we think they define us in ways that they don't. They don't come close to it. So I think that area is quite interesting. But the care bit makes me feel my instant thing is that it's greedy and selfish, and that uh, too much introspection. The people who are the most introspective, quite often, who. Uh, Okay, so here's a cliche. I've never been to America, so I don't know this. I've not seen it. My idea of what LA is, mm. is everyone going, I'm very unhappy. I'm going to self-care. And they don't realize this vicious cycle of caring for themselves is why they're unhappy. They're mm. isolated. Do you think that's too harsh? <laughs> <laughs> Because um, um, I, I honestly feel like, so um, I've been reading all these books about um, economic uh, disparity, right? And, and it says that the reason that depression gets higher the more, um, with the more economically privileged is because they're isolated, which isn't to say it's great to be poor because you have to go next door and borrow sugar because you can't afford any. Mm. But essentially what it says is when you have to share, extended family are far more inter-reliant uh, inter and interdependent. With children, lots of people passing the kids around. That's the kind of family. My mum's one of seven, my dad's one of nine. Both like poor families, but not poor in terms of no one ever didn't have anything because someone else sorted it out. Mm. Like my dad, still now, his brothers and sisters lives in Australia, they pay for him to come over when he is sorting out a bit of gardening, do a bit of that. Like there's this whole mentality of sharing, whereas, and it's so, it's, it's really, really fascinating. I think sometimes we can look introspectively when actually what we need is to think about someone that's not us. Mm. Some, and I, that is not to say that, it's so, that we'll always solve the problem. I'm so aware, if you are depressed, I'm not saying, oh, you're selfish. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes going, the, all of the neurotransmitters you get from being part of a team or sharing are the things that you lack, when, and so serotonin and, and dopamine and oxytocin, like things like singing in a choir, when they, um, they do these experiments and people's happiness goes through the roof. And, some, and don't, you don't have to be good at singing. It's the fact that you're in a group of people doing something that's so primal. Mm. And probably that is truly termed self-care. Mm. But because I see this really capitalist vision of it, my instant thing is to shirk away from it. My mum's the kind of person, if anyone, if you're ever sad, and obviously you can legitimately be sad, but my mum would just say, all for our childhood, there's children in Africa <laughs> who are starving. And, and I, so I still have that. And, and, and sometimes it's really helpful to remember, I can't... I think it's really important to take care of ourselves. But sometimes the way of doing that might be mm. ignoring myself for a little bit. I do have everything I need. I can be with other people, yeah. help other people. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I completely can. Um, uh, that, that is kind of similar to what I, uh, I want to preface this with the fact that um, I am a really um, outspoken supporter of low self-esteem. So <laughs> I, I think it's a great um, energy to work with as a, as a woman. I think uh, you get shit done. Um, uh, you know, I think it's a real good fire up your ass, you know, um, up your ass, under your ass. Let's edit that out. Um, but no, um, I, but genuinely, so uh, yeah, that's so interesting what you say in terms of, that's exactly how I kind of respond to it as well. It feels like a, Self-care is a very Instagram-y thing to me sometimes where I'm like, oh, like, I've, I follow, I mean, I go down, I've got a dark web of Instagram <laughs> hate follows that I follow who are like, who are all, exactly like that. It's very much taking care of yourself and then you're like, what are you doing for your, I guess, community? I think in self-care, what I have kind of maybe interpreted it in a way that I can kind of deal with it is, is just... As you get old, year by year, as you get older, just figuring out what makes 
you happy in the sense that what you can say no to, I think. Mm. And it's like, it's, it is the thing. It's just like, I want to stay home. I don't want to go to a party. I want to stay home and I want to do a jigsaw. I want to, you know, it's those, it's those choices, you know, that you make to go, I am going to preserve myself or make myself kind of the most happiest version I can of myself. But, and I think this is exactly what you're saying, Sarah, and I totally agree, is that you're making yourself, you're building yourself up to be a person who can then kind of reflect that energy outwards. Mm. Because if it's all inwards, then you're actually, you're kind of making a 2.0 or a 3.0 of a version that's not like upgrading to an alpha version, you know what I mean? Of something that can kind of, do more caring because caring is a good thing. Like, you know, caring is often like, as you say, like emotional labor, like, you know, women are often expected to care for people, but caring is something that is like good for your heart. Like, you know what I mean? And like, it makes you feel good and makes you into a better person. So I think the obsession with kind of like caring for yourself over other people, it's not over other people. It's perhaps before other people and so that you can serve others in a better way. So, I mean, I'm talking all this crap. Like, I'm, I, I, you know, I talk all this crap, but, like, I don't know, I don't think I do enough as well for, for you know, uh, to help people around me and, and I guess, um, uh, communities that are outside of my, my kind of bubble as well. But I do see it when I see, you know, I'll just see, oh, my God, I've watched some, I mean, I, I follow some horrible people on Instagram, <laughs> I know, and, and, it's, and it's really bad, it is bad for my soul, but in a way, it is a good reminder of what I don't potentially want to be, and that is to be a bit more self-aware about that kind of stuff, and um, to hold myself accountable of what I am and what I'm not doing as a person who lives in the world, so care for yourself, but, you know, um, also, you know, go to a Charity sausage sizzle or something and help out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys have sausage sizzle? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's basically you make sausages. It's a New Zealand thing. Move on. Um, I was clapping the sausage sizzle. Thank like, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get it. I'm let's get it. Apparently, there's like a hardware shop in Australia and New Zealand where they like. Yeah, I heard this the other day and I was like, IKEA meatballs, I'm done. Like, Wait, I want so it's a hardware store where they sell sausages? No, you can, uh, charities and organisations can like, but like rent them barbecue and do a sausage like every every oh. weekend, yeah. Self-care, baby. <laughs> Hardware, yeah. tools, sausage. sausage. I once nearly got hit by a bus because I parked up um, uh, right outside of Bunnings to run in and get like, it was not a drive through situation, but <laughs> it was a bus lane, but yeah, to run in and get some sausages was fantastic. Thank you, Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
when you were saying that thing about 2.0, 3.0, Alpha, I was like, that's the most millennial thing I have ever heard. <laughs> Guys, on. we just got to be 2.0. We got to be Mac <laughs> High Sierra, <laughs> which I have not upgraded to because it's too much gigs. <laughs> Internet. Um, I, I sort of feel like, yeah, my, my thing when I hear about self-care, and, and I suppose it sort of resonates with both what you've said, is that like we before me, mentality so like I think class is definitely a huge thing the self-care industry is sort of like it exists so much in paper chase and like in very little shops that you're going to get like in places where people could do with like oh I'm gonna I'm buy a book and it's me just putting everything that I've ever written in and it costs me 20 pounds and you know it's like paper will do um, but yeah I think it made me think a lot about my it made me think a lot about my mum so my mum my mum is an amazing woman. She's a sort of like working class grafter. She's in her 60s now. And self-care just isn't on her remit, really. And I've tried to, as I've sort of like developed a bit of a job talking a lot about mental health and trying to sort of help people, I've tried to sort of be like, mum, why don't you, you know, relax, why don't you do stuff? And she's like, do you want a sandwich? Do you want like, I'm like, but mum, why don't you just chill, watch Dark, and then she's finished watching Dark, and then she's like trying to do everything else for everyone. And it's like, it's, uh, and, I, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, I like mum making me a sandwich all the time. Um, but like, that seems to be what really like spurs her on is that like group mentality. If everyone else is okay, then I'm all right. And trying to sort of um, think about it, the only, the only times that I can really remember me and my mum really indulging in self-care was when my dad died and I was about 15 and she was about mid-50s and we went on this like self-care campaign but that was just driven out of like, if we don't look after each other and ourselves... Then that, then there is nothing else. You get to that like base level where you just have to like the smallest step is getting out of bed, and then mm. it's making toast and doing whatever. But then it just sort of spiraled to that self care was just like, yeah, we will get Tracy who makes the good lasagnas to come round next week because <laughs> she will make us that lasagna because she feels sorry for us, and we will eat. <laughs> and it will be good. Like, sort of uh, just I, I just sort of like. <laughs> Clap your 16-year-old grief-stricken self. Because, like, <laughs> that was it. And so, like, that's my only sort of, like, knowledge is that actually really self-care, for me, always comes into my life or, or into my sort of vision. I think when people need it the most, when people actually need to say, no, stop. I think the last time that I really did it was sort of in September where, like, I had, had a lot of, you know, work stuff on that was related to grief and mental health and suicide. And it was all so heavy. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm not a comedian anymore. I'm like a poster child for depression. And I was like, stop. I need to like chill out and go away. And that's when I discovered, and I don't, I don't mean to trivialise what I'm about to say because it was like a, a weird year, but that's when I discovered my T-shirt, <laughs> which is Broad City. Any Broad City fans yeah. in? Thank you. So I discovered Broad City and all of a sudden I was like, why the fuck do I give a shit about anything yeah. that I don't want to not do? And, uh, and so I <laughs> got a bit far on the fandom and I did pay <laughs> 90 pounds for this, shipped from Canada. Uh, um, but I think self-care... <laughs> I could have drawn you that. I could have drawn you that on a T-quid T-shirt. <laughs> It's basically Rose and Amy if she had a fringe uh -huh. on a T-shirt, which is great. But, um, but no, I think that's, that's my sort of response to self-care is that I think it's really important to know when you need it 
and to really indulge in it. But it doesn't have to be like the million pound industry of, mm. you know, like those sort of books and, and the kind of like clinical middle class stuff. It needs to be spread out a bit more and encourage the people when they really need it. And there's some things that are really sensible. Like, so I was thinking as you two are both speaking about things like exercising, mm. which can sometimes feel like the psychology of doing it is, oh, I'm supposed to because I'm so fat. Like when the idea of like, oh, it makes you feel so much better is, is really, and, and again, it is a time thing. You do have to be kind of like time rich to be able to kind of go for a swim or mm. um, things like yoga, which I think really help. But I think sometimes I was thinking that actually, I always think self-care is like, oh yeah, just eat the whole pizza. It's <laughs> <laughs> much more like, oh yeah. <laughs> All the lasagnas. <laughs> you get your hands up. Thank you, Jack. It was great. Woo! Thank you. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss I thought we might come to that conclusion at the end of the show but it's fine that we did it at the top um, <laughs> the like aspects of self-care are like it's become sort of co-opted in this way in a similar way I think some in the ways that feminism has like there are some media tactics about talking about self-care and mental health which is not the same thing as self-care, but it's sort of sometimes lumped in together, that they sort of treat feminism with too. Like you can buy self-care bath bombs. I'm sure you can buy feminist bath bombs. Yeah, what like, were the, what were the non-self-care version of bath bombs? And blood, yeah. <laughs> Across the road in Wagon Mama, they... Um, I've got so... M- oh, no. Oh, I'm going to get... Like, what? No, it's just... I always go to Wagamama and then I'm always slagging it off behind its back. <laughs> it's, it's like all my aunties Why and uncles. Why you slag it off? No, no, the only reason is because... I, I, I don't know... I actually don't know why I'm doing that. I'm just jealous. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. It's because they weirdly have this thing where, like, a couple of things on the menu, they, like, uh, donate certain amounts to charity and they're always, like, a penny or whatever. Mm. But they've got one that's, like, the positive juice... Uh, that is like if you do if you buy this juice then 5p will go to like a mental health charity and i'm like like it's just a juice mate there's like so many other juices and i get it and i get what it's there for but i'm also like sometimes it doesn't sit 
very well with me when there's yeah. that really obvious sort of corporate I think alignment. It's, I think uh, the thing is, because it all adds up, but it, you're absolutely right, it's such a weird psychology, but imagine if they wrote their... This juice is three quid. Have a look at your life, mate. There's people sleeping on the streets. I just wanted a juice. <laughs> but it's corporate. It's corporate virtue signaling, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's like it's an easy way. It's an easy yeah. way to donate to charity, and you don't have to. But doesn't like, that you make know. sense? Like so many, so much of our politics nowadays are led by brands, and like mm. I find it so interesting how. Um, that self-care and feminism have become these like their brand identities now but that's because they're making money off it yeah so i mean so it doesn't happen because someone sits in an office and goes what's next yeah uh, companies follow things or mutate or change it's, uh, sarah brown's podcast which is so amazing i think the first one they were talking about how um all companies now basically graduates are really really altruistic and ethical and they want to work and they want to be able to afford mortgages and have lives but they also want to work for companies where they don't regret they want to be able to know in their hearts mm. they're not making the world worse which means that all of these companies now have departments that are more ethical and they speak so if, like so bae systems who make landmines mm. are carbon neutral <laughs> and they have a whole page on their website about mate <laughs> carbon <laughs> we're the good guys <laughs> And it is, it's astonishing, wow. but, but it is, it's, it's driven by good things. But, and, yeah. and also, again, when we think about human beings as an animal, we, we, uh, when we have money, we derive pleasure from buying things. Mm. The whole thing about kind of, what's it used to be called? It was, it, before self-care, there was th something therapy, retail therapy. That's what they used to say, <laughs> which was the idea of like, mm-hmm, I deserve it. I work hard. <laughs> it's just like shoes you can't walk in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a real history of women being sold stuff and yeah. and companies getting very clever about how they do it. But, and always, because... Um, so even, like, um, like, Betty Friedan talks about it, even, like, in the 50s, they thought that women were still... They weren't earning the money necessarily, but they were definitely controlled of what was being bought at the supermarket. So mm -hmm. all of... So, all all products were targeted saying you will have a happier family if you buy this thing, whether it was a kind of a cleaning product or a turkey. <laughs> I, um, I have a ton of my uh, mum's... <laughs> Did I I, oh, I'll say, or a landmine, but I don't know. <laughs> I, um, I have tons of my old mum's... I think I showed you them, actually. My mum's Seventeen magazines from the, from the late 70s and early 80s. And there is actually something... There is almost something more pure about, like, an ad for lipstick saying, put this on, you piece of shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, or else you're going like, to look nice if you put this on, all right? And it's kind of, like, more, way more upfront, and it's worse, but at least it's, like, not thinly veiled under something else. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, it's yeah, basically yeah. No, it's, selling what no, it is. it's... Um, when you feel good, mm. you look good. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So why don't you put this lipstick and look good? <laughs> that yes. might help you feel good. 100%. Make you look good. <laughs> there, there was a year, I think it was the year I did the Funny Women competition and we were sponsored by a makeup brand oh, that yeah. said, laughter is the best makeup. Yeah. But they sold makeup. <laughs> and how insane the comedy industry can be sometimes. Um, so as performers and comedians, like a lot of stand-up can be about the self and how you fit into the world and how you see the world. And I, I wonder, do you feel like there's... Do you want to talk about how you see the world in your real life on stage? Is that something that you feel like is important to do? Or do you try to kind of keep things separate? I feel massive guilt about um, 
talking about myself so much on stage mm-hmm. in the sense that when you see someone else like doing like oh, political, oh, cool, oh, Trump and stuff, you know, <laughs> you're like, oh my gosh, they're, they're really actively like, you know, changing. You're, they're, they're talking about important stuff. But then I really, I mean, what I see it as, and I have tried to, <laughs> like, try to um, deal with it in, in the way of, I do my, I, I'd say I do observational comedy in the sense that I, I think a lot of comedians do that. They self-reflect to the point of condensing an observation down to its, like, most purest form. But I think the difference between certain comedians and other comedians is that it's literally how far you come to meet the audience. And it's this thing of, like, when you're making a joke to make a connection with people, that you're you're doing you're doing obs- you're making observations about yourself, which apply and are relatable to others. But mm-hmm. there are other types of comedy that I, I don't li- I don't like and I don't really want to do, which is sort of yelling what's happened to you and not seeing how you can connect to a crowd with that. Well, you know how, what I mean? How I would um, separate those two things is I stand up is an authored form, and I like that as a phrase mm. for it because it's that is where you come. Because I want to come and see your worldview. I want to see the world yes. through your eyes. And sometimes that's because I want to see the world through Paul Foot's eyes. Mm. Um, and, but I hate being lectured. So yeah. that's my distinction mm-hmm. is I'm, absolute, I'm absolutely fine for people to tell me things I don't understand. That's quite often, again, why I come to comedy. I can't live everyone's life. Someone's mm. telling me about their life and their different approaches. And that's why it becomes boring when it's homogenous. There was this huge time where it was just kind of cis, able-bodied, middle-aged fat white men um, <laughs> uh, talking about pies and how much they hate their wives and it was <laughs> really boring not mm. because they weren't incredible craftspeople who were very good at crafting jokes but there's something about it's horrible to say man and I shouldn't say man a man um, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think because I don't really I, I can't think off the top of my head of a woman who d- does this but I'm sure they do but I was it's a back of the throat kind of eh, telling me about how the world works. (laughs) And I think, you are a clown, okay? You are one of life's failures. How dare you lecture me? Like, how dare you? And I I want to switch off from it. It's the most patronising shit of all time. Yeah, it's also, the idea of like, am I making sense to you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The idea that you've made people pay to come and watch you tell them yeah, yeah, what yeah. you think we should have done about Brexit. It's the, um, yeah. it's the TED Talks paradox. Yeah. It's like, Absolutely. what line what line do you cross when you become... I mean, TED Talks are great, so I shouldn't be slamming them. But And this show is basically a TED Talk, so <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. Stop talking about TED Talks! Okay. Um, but there is that thing that is that thing where it comes to the communication in the community that we were talking about earlier. Like, stand-up, when, when I love stand-up is when I can watch someone who is talking about something that I've never done before, but I can see myself within it. And the reason you can is because they're being so truthful about who they are that you, you go on that journey with them. And I think all three of you, I mean, you more than do that. And like, Rose in particular, I was thinking about your IUD material recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just always sure. thinking about IUDs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know what it stands for. Interuterine Interuterine device. It's contraception for those not in the know. Uh, uh, I weirdly was about to try and do a version of your material, which is obviously the worst. So my favorite thing that you do uh, is <laughs> what you mean, the to- story about trying to get it put in, or or the or the pill stuff, because I I found a genuine and is the most immediate kind of uh, example of that in the sense that. Sometimes comedy, like I say, I think comedy is a transference of like energy in the sense that you are giving something and someone's bouncing their back to you. And like after shows, oh my God, how many girls would come up to me. I have this joke about like the length of your period in my last show about how I'm like a five day, which is like a classic length. And I've got like lots of friends who like have three days and I'm like, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> and like I had so many girls just coming up to me, not even saying hello, being like, go, going home with their friends and being like, three days, five days. <laughs> 
that's just this immediate like outpouring of like complete relate like like you're you're just connecting on a, in a way because when you don't hear people speak about that kind of stuff mm. you know it's but then in a way it, like, i'd say it isolates dudes in my audience quite a lot well this is where the privilege thing comes in yes because the anger that's always existed about women in comedy this idea that we just talk about our periods when it occur- it happens very rarely mm. and um and for i think after joe brand didn't happen at all because almost the thing that was whispered to you as you decided to be a comic was don't talk about your periods because then they'll just really use that against you yeah and so we were actually for a long time nothing because the opposite occurred men couldn't see themselves or people in male bodies or for whatever reason couldn't see themselves in the menstrual material and so either they were conditioned to not hear anything about it and thought it was disgusting they definitely thought don't talk about a thing i don't know about yeah and i have no absolutely. interest in knowing about mm-hmm. even though half of the world is women yeah <laughs> not interested but that, that i mean that is a tradition throughout all, all sort of creative things like there's that stat about um when men write books they're read equally by men and women uh, and when women write books they, men, men just don't read female yeah but they don't and also but the same thing happens with comedy i get told so often even like this is like i'm being taken to new york for two months right and the, and i had this west end run and he came to see the show just to see what state it was in because it's pr- promoter and he the first thing he said to me was it's a, it's mainly a female audience and and he doesn't think that's insulting mm. but the way what he's trying to say is you don't appeal to men and um, and, it, and it says a lot of people. I get asked a lot, and are your audience mostly women? Because why yeah. would a man listen to you? But also, I went to your West End run. Very good. Uh, a really great, and there was loads of dudes. Well, I always think it's exactly mixed. Yeah, I've I've never come out and gone, oh god, I must, I'm being too parochial. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, do you guys feel like you perform to a special, a specific audience when you perform? Like, do you think that you have to play with? what people expect of you is when they see you on stage well gigs are very different so actually there are gigs i get to and i go oh i can't do my normal stuff here mm. and and uh and there are gigs where you turn up like i did for on the seventh i did a gig in brighton seven and so it's the day before international women's day and it was, it was billed by the brighton dome as an international women's day gig and as i came out on stage i was like oh this is this is like so my people so mm. i did have that thing of like defining going i already know they get it and they're, they're, they're the opposite where I get scared. Yeah, but that's a form of self-care in itself, of self-preservation <laughs> yeah. of like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do my period material at a club night on a Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had to do some awards um, for second-hand car salesman uh, <laughs> last week. And yeah. it really, 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 really was a terrible booking error. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, Jack, I wanted to ask you, you talk about um mental health in your shows or you have not always and you no i think i have always (laughs) (laughs) you love this so (laughs) do you feel do you feel like um uh i don't know like a responsibility to tell a certain type of story or do you feel like you're allowed to tell the story about yourself i don't know i think it's it's an interesting one because i i sort of like sort of fell into being a performer through trying to write something that well I actually tried to make a documentary so so my actual origins of like becoming a sort of comedian writer performer were just because I ran out of money to make a documentary (laughs) and the arts council are very generous to people who like don't live in London and who are gay with a story like that's it they were like why don't you turn your films into a show and write a show so like everything I never sort of it's taken me until the last sort of two to three years to really understand audiences because I was just doing it and always surprised when people came and, and enjoyed it but I think 
what I try to do is, or what I especially try to do with my sort of first show, is is the thing that I always found really annoying when I watched a lot of stuff, especially sort of like um, uh, things that were really autobiographical, is that people would speak about family members or whatever, but you'd never, you would always hear them through their lens. Mm. So like with my first show, I had my nan in the show with me in loads of films and projections. And, and that was mainly because I just thought, I want people to see her and hear her voice and her experience of, you know, my first show is called Good Grief and it was about losing my dad, but it was sort of about how me and my nan used it to get what we wanted, AKA self-care. Um, <laughs> and I wanted people to see her and actually like picture her and see her in her flat. And my nan was cool with it. She didn't really know, like my nan did not have a clue what it would be. When she was, she asked me, she was like, and where do you want this to be? And I was like, well, my dream would be for it to be at Soho Theatre. And she was like, not the Palladium. And I was like, no. <laughs> um, but I, what I find particularly interesting is that my audience tends to be a mix and it has changed actually in the last couple of years probably because I've, I've grown in awareness as an act but I, I, I think sometimes I can tell guys that have come to see me because their girlfriends have dragged them there their girlfriends have thought I really want you to see something that's about something emotional that that men seem to typically struggle with because of the sort of boundaries and restrictions of masculinity and, and then by the end of it, I'm always really chuffed when it's like the guys that are the first to come up to speak to me. Because mm. I feel way more comfortable performing in front of women, if I'm honest. I think it might just sort of be because of my material and sort of... I, I don't know, I was, <laughs> I was trying not to say something really creepy then. Um, it's it's but, not creepy. There's a, there's a whole unspoken dialogue going on between men which can be kind of aggressive. Mm. And, and, and it doesn't happen in the same way. It, which isn't to say women can't be aggressive, mm. but the, the whole, you know, like, what's it like, kind of pecking order hierarchy. Mm. Men are working out how safe they are by going, are you alpha, am I beta? Because you're standing up as a an alpha beta male, yeah. which is a strange space. Yeah. And I also think about that thing you say about the men coming to see you. I think they have to kind of pretend they don't want to be there. I think they do. I don't think yeah. they'll be there well, if so they don't want to be there. That's funny because I was yeah. going to patronise these guys and be like, maybe there's some of them in the audience tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like, well, you know what? Let them be. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. because that's not, I, I go, I get dragged to see stuff and no one's ever like, but all the girlfriends have come to see this play. <laughs> it's, like, it doesn't, it's just not a thing, this yeah. idea that men aren't interested in that. It's so reductive. I think it's probably, you know, me getting over that, like, self-deprecation now that I think there are, like, mm. guys that really resonate with what I'm saying. But what's really interesting is that I've, I've, I sort of have tried to look into um, sort of the ways that actually it can't just be, like, just me speaking and, and performing, the ways that actually men can, like, learn from certain aspects of talking about stuff. And there's a festival that goes on at the South Bank Centre called Being a Man Festival, which is, like sort of masculine version of women of the world and uh what's really interesting is that more women go to being a man <laughs> than men do and i've always found that really interesting i think it's just about petering out now like more and more men are coming each year but i've I, I, and i wrote about this recently in this article i think that women are really really overlooked and actually quite um responsible for the recent change in looking at masculinity. I don't think it's necessarily, I think the way it's sort of painted out is because so many men are sort of at the forefront of this like toxic masculinity, looking at male mental health um, topic that's very much in the zeitgeist. I think a lot of it is actually really driven by feminism. And 
I work for a charity called Calm, which stands for the Campaign Against Living Miserably, and it was set up by a woman called Jane Powell, who is an amazing activist and feminist. She was on Green and Common, like she's an incredible woman. And mm. her whole sort of theory about it, and this was about, you know, 10 years ago, was that if you sort out what is so toxic about masculinity, that will benefit both genders. Like if we, if we figure out why it is that so many men seemingly tend to be more likely to take their own life than women and what that culture is and what that sort of process is, that's only going to help equality and help men yeah. to sort of be more emotional and, and, and not this sort of alpha beta figuring out I, where I you are. I think feminism in general realised that, um, as, as we've in intellectual and in practical ways, realising that gender is a construct and people, women are being uh, given these expectations, these conditioning... But at the same time, realizing it wasn't balanced because that wasn't happening with men, because they didn't identify and they weren't seen as being oppressed. But exactly mm. the same forces in equal measure are happening. Mm. And so actually, I think that's why it so, can be so female heavy. That's so interesting, because yeah. you're talking about so New Zealand, where Rose mm. is from. Thank well you. Done, Thank you. Um, is, uh, <laughs> don't, don't have to clap. Was the, first, was the first country to have votes for women, is that correct? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. God, we're doing a lot more. Um, uh, not mean, as a, it was yeah. in the 1800s. So yes, yes. And I was wondering if you feel like that society, which is a really interesting mixed society. No, no, we've still got toxic masculinity uh, in bucket loads. No, no, is that the question? Sorry. No, I was just wondering what that, what that sort of early doors, ideas of sort of gender equality of that. If the idea is that what Jack is saying, which I think is really true, that toxic masculinity is a target for both feminism and... Um, mental health advocates because so much of our society pressures all sort of boil down onto people in that way is do you feel like there's a difference between New Zealand and the UK no um uh, in the sense that I think um even more so uh, I mean I don't know if anyone's ever met a man from New Zealand but they are not very forthcoming with their emotions <laughs> um but it is, I mean I think it's actually something that it's it's kind of uni universal in the sense I was I, I'm I'm very, very distracted because I do have a question for Jack because I I think that's so interesting in the sense of hearing about that festival and hearing that more women go to it and I'm just like, is is there is there an embarrassment for? Because what my so my pet peeve is when um, a dude will go, ugh, men, right? And you're like, fuck you, you are a man, okay? Like you you are in a you are part of the uh, something, which I think like separating yourself from that is a way, but then not backing that up with how am I making myself a better person to. You know, it's just a weird, like, otherness to that. And it's, is it because it's an embarrassment to accept that you have, like, a, a, you know, have maybe some areas in which your life you can improve, which I think is a real thing that I think uh, a, a, a woman often do of, of self-reflection and going, how can I better myself? But I think for the men in my life anyway, I think there is a real reluctance to be like, have the humility to be like, I'm not stepping up in this regard in my life. I want to do something about it. I just so rarely hear that with guys. And I just, is that something to do, you reckon, with, with that? I think it's, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's got something to do with, like, selfishness or not. Mm. I often hear, like, a lot of my sort of, um, I think it's just a change. A lot of my, I do think sexuality plays into a slightly different hand. I'm not yeah. saying that, like, there are historically times where gay men have been incredibly um, feminist and incredibly, like, mm you know, not uh, appropriate with the way that they depict women. But on the whole, I think in my sort of world, 
uh, gay men tend to be a little bit more open and, and a little bit more empathetic. And it's the straight men that in my life that I like love and are mates with that I'm always sort of like having chats with. <laughs> a recent sort of phenomenon that I found is like straight men who, who are like, well, you know, like I am a feminist. But, but. <laughs> like, as in, give it up for me. Yeah. <laughs> Round of applause. <laughs> and then being like, but, you know, I should earn more. <laughs> like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, and like, there's, there's, it's almost like men now understand, especially in light of sort of the Me Too campaign, I think more and more men are understanding there are issues that actually they are massively part of the solution of. Yeah. But like... It's almost... Um... I think that it's a very similar thing with white people and race, actually. I think um, it takes so much conversation to actually empathise with a point of view mm. because we can't help it. We're in our own... We, our entire lives are spent looking from our very, very subjective worldview. And I think it very... The reason that white people are so insulted to be called racist because they think racists go along the street in, uh, in vans shouting at anyone that's not white, mm. whereas you do a lot more listening or a lot more studying and then you realise it's much more insidious and then you have to actually face up to... It's not as easy as saying, I'm not racist. Am yeah. I more unlikely to... Am I more likely to employ a white person mm. than a black person and not even realise that's why I chose them? Then you have to start examining that. So it's not as easy as going, I'm a feminist, yeah. but this mm. is what I still think because then you go, oh, it's an ongoing process of bias and all the time and and, yeah. and listening when I'm told that I'm wrong and then and, and, and going, like, as an ape, we, uh, we, we form a tribe and it's stronger if we have someone or we have others outside of it and now in the world we live in this tribe of billions and we have to keep unlearning that tribal behaviour mm. But do you, and do you think though there's such a I find that though and, and I mean I, I should get off Twitter for sure but you know mm. that reluctance to accept that everyone is so instead of like Twitter is basically people yelling at everyone else and not listening to people, which is I think so. I mean, so rarely do I see actual exchanges where people have listened to each other and learnt something. And when you see them, you're like, whoa, this is amazing. This is like 2008 Twitter. Um, yeah. But it, it is. Don't do you feel though that like exactly the thing of like a white person who's like I'm not racist, but but it's like you do you do exhibit racist behaviour maybe in, in unknown ways or you want intentional, but the it's the defensiveness to go when you're labeling something like to go, no, I'm not that, mm. but not to accept that everyone, everyone's fucking up all like everyone's just always messing shit up. Yeah. And it's like, it's, yeah. it's, and so when you're like suddenly told, Oh, well I've done something that's not necessarily a, a feminist thing. Yeah. That kind of thing of going, well, what do I do now? Do I have to return my badge? I bought from, <laughs> you know, paper chase. Yeah, exactly. An, issue, an yeah. issue that I had in my last show that, and that I was operating on, that I was uh, probably problematic gay man. I had one of those moments <laughs> where I had written a line where I was talking about my first day on a job uh, being a primary school teaching assistant for this agency and me talking about going in there and feeling really confident but wearing like a very tight blazer that made me very like top heavy. Um, and I said something that in, in the gay world, this word is used almost in like a in a sort of like uh, glamorized um, complimentary way. I was like, I felt really slutty. And then I ended it like Jane McDonald on a cruise ship. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I like, looked into what I'd actually just said and was like, mm. hold on a second. That, that's a really negative word mm. that I'm using mm. to describe something. If I'd have said, which I later did change it to, <laughs> I only said it once, mm. uh, which I was like, I feel really sexy 
like Jane McDonald on a cruise ship because if anybody's watched any of Jane McDonald's yeah, documentaries, which I love, sexy. she's incredibly yeah. sexy and fucking brilliant on the cruise ships. Yeah. Um, but it was like, it's like noticing those little things yeah. and correcting and changing them when think, you've contextualized yes. them as harmless, but yeah. you yeah. need to realize. Lang language is incredibly important. And I think, especially when we're talking about self care, like the thing I think was so interesting at the beginning of this, so we all picked up different versions of what self care means and the words and the language around feminism, especially since we now all like, content guys I don't know if you know about content but it's very good and you should have lots of it and like there's this sense that like you know this we've got so many think pieces and all of this it's just it's, it's this like machinery that's built and Twitter is part of that that's built around endless content that brings you to advertising it, I mean I know I sound like my old my, my aunt is so cynical Twitter is basically my aunt having a political conversation in that she is waiting to speak and like it doesn't matter what you say because two minutes before she thought of something good and she is about to say it <laughs> so you could have moved on you could be like and that's why um I don't know about Brexit and she's like but the real thing about Canadian politics is <laughs> and she's like she's there but like we, we do live in this world where there's lots of opinions and I think coming back to the self and understanding where the self fits into that is really key and I, I sort of wanted to end by thinking about language and how we use it especially as performers do you like the thing that I do that I want to change about myself is that I sometimes hear myself saying she's crazy just like very casual and what you mean is I don't know how to describe her yeah. uh, she's confident or she's loud or she's all these things you, you could describe her but well, it's like this unpredictable I, I think it's quite often I have the same thing sorry I have, <laughs> 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 I have the same thing um, with the, I love the word loopy mm. describing someone oh, absolutely like so loopy and because for me it's a really fun word and again realising there's connotations and yeah. what I mean is you don't know what she's going to say next yeah <laughs> yeah. and we have this like, thing there's a tradition I, I don't think I've ever called a guy crazy in a fun way <laughs> like I think if I'm calling a guy crazy it's because I'm worried yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, that guy is crazy <laughs> but it's like I call my friends crazy all the time oh she's crazy you know like, it, we have these like understandings about how we see women uh, as sort of women first and the labels that we put on them and guys we're coming to the end of the time I, I sort of wanted to talk briefly about how you see yourself like very individually within gender roles and like something that I find really exciting and we haven't talked about it and there's so much more to talk about like when people talk about uh, gender identity and when people talk about being trans and they talk about um, the way that they see themselves I am so excited to live in a world where people can say that they are the sex that they feel that they are, that they know that they scientifically are. Because for me, in the most privileged way possible, which is why I don't understand why people have problems with it, like from the most privileged middle-class way, that means that I also get to think about that. I also get to change the landscape of what it means They're to be a woman. They're teaching us what gender is. Yeah. And, and not through choice, because they have the most difficult journey. And actually, in terms of ideology and language, it's a hugely generous thing for cis people who haven't had to consider certain things so much. I... I, I've been reading so many autobiographies and I'd recommend everyone does this about people uh, through their transitioning process and they're all obviously so different like any autobiography it's just mm. as different as anything else but because them working out what gender is and where they sit within it they um, a little bit like someone who has to come out as gay actually in the same way you have to really consider who you are and then you have to go through this journey of defining people the thing about cis is it's quite lazy for a lot of us mm. it is to do with kind of clothes and who your best friends with and then it and, and if you're straight as well as sexuality and how people talk to you in the street like it, yes. it often comes down to very sort of um shallow things that we yeah. don't consider i think is what you're saying yeah. I, what's interesting for me is i always saw being male as a very 
positive thing. And when I was scared from childhood onwards, I would pretend I was a man. Mm. And part of my feminism in later life has been trying to find a way of thinking that's womanhood. Mm. Because um, even uh, through my 20s, being nervous, no, just pretend you're a man and go in there. Mm. How would a man behave in this situation? How, how, would, how would they get what they want? Rather than thinking that's a form of womanhood, I've always had this thing where men deserve it. So I think it's that, so that idea that's of like who you are yeah. and where you sit. And I think that's a really interesting thing about how we now think about feminism. Like we, for a long time, striving towards equality meant striving to being exactly like the ideal well, yeah, well, of man. When I was at school, um, when I was growing up, and there were, I, it's, it's part of East London, which was very racist. And the whole way of not being racist was pretending you didn't notice what colour anyone was. Mm. And, 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 and actually, that's not, not racist. But you'd mm. pretend you had... Is she black? Yeah. <laughs> she, she never. Did. So I didn't like, uh, and I th- and I think very similarly that then when happened that that was a move that was one of the waves of feminism was mm. I want to get paid the same as my male colleague so I will try and behave in a way which doesn't let anyone know that I yeah, have yeah. a family at home, and it's also the myth of exceptionalism because it means some people can get through that gap. Like some women do, like, you know, female CEO says that. I can't remember her name. She has four children. And I, if I read, if I see her picture. Oh, she's at the Yahoo one. Or yeah, something. no, yeah. That's, oh, no, that's Marissa Mine. She has one child. This okay. is a British woman. I know all the CEO's children. Um, <laughs> one child. Incredible. She's happy. Um, she doesn't need more. Um, but no, this is a, a British uh, exec who has four children, maybe five children. Um, and she, she, I think she's called Ruth. That's all I got. Uh, she called Ruth and she just, in every article, I'm like, as I turn the page, I'm like, there's going to be a picture of Ruth. And there she is, smiling with her four children and her two nannies. Like, she is having, like, and she's honest about it. But there is this idea that we, like, we sort of strive to be in this one way. And, and Rose and Jack, do you think you sit, just to finish, do you think you sit in traditional gender roles? Do you think, how do they work for you? Um, Yeah. I mean, I guess well, uh, one thing what you actually said before about the the use of language, and especially like when you're talking about like trans stuff and like what can be isolating, especially when you're watching something like like stand up. I there's, I my last show, I've got a lot of stuff about obviously like being I'm 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 person I'm I'm a woman who talks about stuff about being a woman and things that are different between men. Very ground groundbreaking stuff in comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really started thinking a lot, a lot, a lot about how I want to go ahead in comedy with the way in which I speak about groups. Because when I speak about women in my, my stand-up, I, I kind of go, in my mind, I'm like, well, this is, is woman, but anyone who identifies as a woman or is, is you know, or, or who wants to, basically, I, I imagine it as anyone who wants to throw their hat in the ring of being a woman, then I'm talking to you and I'm talking about you. And and so it's hard with comedy because it is, but it's really tricky with comedy because with comedy, it's like you are boiling something down into its simplest form and the quickest form in which you can articulate that. And so sometimes things slip through the gaps in which you're going, I feel like maybe I'm isolating with the language that I'm using here, put certain people in the audience who are watching. And I've really, I'm trying to make a more active effort. And, it, and I think uh, it gets know. easier. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think sometimes you feel told off because it's someone else telling us, but I think you can find a succinct way to do it. I, in my last show, I've got the thing about um, periods. And I, when I was first doing it, I was saying, of course, men can understand periods. And I realized, of course, I'm talking about as if biology is gender. And then mm-hmm. I changed it. And I, first of all, I was really concrete. And of course, not all women have periods. And I was trying to do this whole... Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then I just started saying, of course, people who don't have periods... Exactly. 
criticize them. <laughs> and mm. then no one's like, um, we know what you mean, but you're, yeah. you're not excluding people. Totally. And people That's who didn't feel excluded anyway with don't the notice. word there. You know, yes. people mm. are always like, I, there was a yeah. professor who was like, I won't call my student there. And you're like, and I, well, there's a very interesting yes. thing that they said. Okay, so describe your friend who's over the room like, oh, well, they are mm. tall. And you're like, all of them? Like what, like yes, it's very, yeah. we do use this language already. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's fascinating to think about how I think these conversations often boil down to things that we don't think about in terms of ourselves fitting into these yes. wider contexts of communities and feminism. Yeah. Jack? I think I have like the, uh, it's, it's a bizarre one because I, I sort of feel like um, I tend to not relate that much to many other men class for me is the biggest section where I go into it so I feel like a working class man but I feel like a middle class person <laughs> like a lot of the time I feel like when I'm going about my daily life I'm a middle class person experiencing the benefits of it and then I'll sort of like go back home or I'll be with like family members and I become a working class man with all the chips on my shoulder and all the sort of like sometimes really horrible aggressive streaks that I don't like and and then middle class person sometimes tells me off when I shout over my mum <laughs> but then working class class man is like I'm angry and the, the two of them are having like a fight and it's bizarre and then there's like some gay guys sort of wandering around <laughs> somewhere <laughs> like yeah and and so it's a bizarre one because I think actually the more I'm sort of growing up and you know this year I turned 25 and I'm like okay you need to know a little bit more sure of who you are I I, I don't I find that gender, for me, feels more, even more apparent when I go back to my roots. And when I look at the differences that are there between my nieces and my nephews, and I look at how my, when my, when, you know, my niece, my, I've, we, I've, we're a weird family, I've got like great nephews, because I'm like the only one that hasn't had a child yet. Um, and like the way that my nephew Vinny is told like not to cry because of it being like a girl. And I'm like, wow, because I read so much stuff in my other life in London where I'm a performer where people just really click into that really quickly, but it's still so apparent. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say that all working class people are like that. That's not it. But but it's something that I see. And I, uh, uh, the actual thing that I worry about the most is my mum's generation. My mum's generation of women are the ones that I feel are the most invisible and most forgotten. And, and they're not even like really marketed to in the same way they're marketed to still in the very basic principles but like self-care hasn't even hit them yet that industry's not even gone there like even yankee candles aren't for them like, <laughs> and and that's the sort of generation i'm most interested in and i think that's why i'm really i think the best thing that i can be as a man is as connected to my mum as possible as connected to what she's going through and the things and the challenges that she has and even like the admin I think last time I came on here I spoke about my mum being a widow and having to remind people every single time a gas bill comes up or she's on the phone or like that being her classification and even though we've both gone through that grief I can be whoever I want now but she's always a widow there is a word for her and and that's something that I hope that like as long as I can keep my relationship with her I can try and change or, or try and, oh, this sounds like I'm like going to be a warrior for widows, <laughs> but try and change things. <laughs> and that's my 2019 out of a French show. Start your own clap, start your own clap. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so I think um, that that's it. Is, is actually the more dialogue we can have across age and across class, the better I think gender roles 
will be and the better that we can have more equality, I think. Thank you. I mean, that's a wonderful place to end. I mean, it's beautiful. Um, and, and also, I think really interesting because we started talking about how community is the thing, that self-care is important, but self-care isn't just like, so, I'm going to use the word solipsistic. Is that correct? Someone? No. <laughs> solipsistic is believing nothing exists outside of your own mind. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> to use was um, onanism, but I think onanism is, is a masturbation, yeah. from the which Bible. is of course what everyone thought we were talking about today when I said self-care, but we didn't get to it. I was going to ask, no, I wasn't. I mean, maybe. We have run out of time. Um, so as always, there's so many things we didn't quite get to cover. Masturbation. Do I know what words mean? No, I really don't. Um, and so there's so much to do with self-care and finding yourself within that. So I hope this isn't the end of the conversation for you. Uh, I hope you keep talking about it because I think there's still so much more and I'm sure you each individually have had things that you've been thinking about. You guys have been wonderful. You guys have been fantastic. So let's join me in clapping the wonderful Sarah Pascoe, Rose Matafeo and Jack Rick. So, are we any closer to finding out what women want? Does a bear shit in the woods? I don't know, I'm not a farmer. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, subscribe and share. It makes such a difference in my ongoing journey to top Mel Gibson when you Google what women want. Thank you to producer Zach Annette and to radio legend Shola Aleje for her help. Music is by The Artisans via Jamendo Publishing. What Women Want is going to Edinburgh. We're going to be at the Pleasance for six dates only, Saturdays and Sundays in August 2019. Please go to the Pleasance website to get your tickets. I would love to see you there. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hey it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to Quince I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters sleek leather jackets fine jewelry and so much more with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they partner with factories that prioritize safe ethical and responsible manufacturing I love that Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.